0: Last Sunday was Epiphany. We talked about the less often read back half of chapter 2 of Matthew's gospel in which Matthew recounts the Magi not coming and bowing but returning home to their home in the east by another way, not circling back to Herod as King Herod. Herod the Great had asked, with information about the birth of the one who would be king of the Jews, Jesus, and thus infuriating Herod, who was committed to eliminating anyone who might threaten his place, his throne, his identity as king, even a baby. And last Sunday's message concluded with a sort of comparison uh, of the leadership styles of two kings, the ruthless King Herod the Great, and the Prince of Peace, Jesus. I spoke then about the world into which Jesus was born, being dominated, that part of the world, by King Herod, the King Herod known as Herod the Great. And he really was great by many measures and standards. He was a strong leader. He was a great leader. He was a powerful leader. He was responsible in many ways for the renovation and the renewal or the renaissance of that culture. uh, Bringing to the forefront arts and athletics and architecture and all sorts of socially valuable institutions, palaces, Renovating the temple, uh, roads, infrastructure, all sorts of great things. And so Jesus is born into a world that already has a great example of what leadership can look like. Strong, determined, powerful leadership. And Jesus was interested in a kingdom as Herod was the king over a kingdom. Jesus talked about nothing more than this kingdom of God. He was interested in nothing more than ushering in a kingdom, a new reality that would have a king. And yet Jesus forms, shapes, ushers in, inaugurates, and describes a kingdom that was the polar opposite of the kingdom of Herod, of the king Herod. Jesus, instead of ruling from power, ruled from the lower places. Instead of appealing to the strong and the great and the powerful in society, Jesus spends time with people in the backwaters who have no power. The underserved, the oppressed, the people on the margins. This was the kind of king that Jesus was. Herod's reign was characterized by terror, greed, insecurity, and killing. Jesus' reign was and is characterized by peace, generosity, hope, and life. Herod took away, Jesus gave. Herod sought to be served by everyone. Jesus said of himself, the son of man, his favorite way of referring to himself. The son of man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. There are ways of leading that lead to death. And we talked about last week, Herod's infanticide, his killing of a whole many generation of Jewish boys. And there's a way of leading that leads to life. And that was and is the way of Jesus. Jesus still could have adapted, embraced Herod's way of leading though Herod lacked any interest in God. Jesus could have inserted that into Herod's framework or rubric. Herod lacked any moral authority he was morally bankrupt Jesus could have simply taken Herod's model and inserted moral fiber but he didn't he chose an entirely different way and that was the way of service and serving which we will talk about this morning we spent last fall talking about the way of Jesus and the way of life into which he invites us, the life of his kingdom that God made available in Jesus, through Jesus, and to which he invites us. And over the course of the fall, we went through what, for lack of a better term, we called a curriculum to help us move through that study intentionally and specifically. And this winter and this spring, we will be revisiting in different ways and in different orders many of those same topics, hoping to go deeper and to reinforce, because for many of us, for me, things go in one ear and by noon on Sunday, out the other ear. This morning, we will talk about the idea of service or serving as a necessary component of the way of Jesus, and as a prelude to our ordaining and installing new deacons and elders in a little while. So uh, let me begin again by praying as we open the scriptures. Join me in prayer. We ask, God, that you would help us to be attentive to your word and through it your will and your way in your heart. Help us to understand your truth and your grace through the scriptures and the context in which they were written and for whom they were written. Give us eyes to see and ears to hear and hearts that are good in fertile soil. I pray that my word, as it is consistent with your word, will be received and embraced. If my words deviate or stray from your word, may they be forgotten immediately and forever. We pray in Christ the Lord. Amen. Reading from the book of Acts chapter 6. Jesus, as you know, if you know a little about the Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts Jesus has been, uh, done his three years of ministry, crucified, resurrected, ascended again to be with the Father in the heavens. Uh, Now the church is born and in the power of the Spirit and this movement that has found life and meaning and significance and eternity in Christ is growing and blossoming and really exploding. Listen closely, beginning in chapter 6, verse 1. This is the word of God. In those days when the number of disciples was increasing, the Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. You remember from Acts chapter 2. Now this new community living in the way of Jesus has, quote, everything in common. All they have they share with one another. So the 12 gathered all the disciples together and said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God. In other words, the good newsing, the preaching, the disciple making in order to serve tables. In other words, in order to make sure that everyone has enough food on their table, everyone is fed, everyone is taken care of, all of which is important. But it couldn't be allowed to slow down this movement, this freight train of grace that was blowing through that part of the world. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the Spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and will give our attention to prayer and to the ministry of the Word. This proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. Also Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. So, because the apostles were able to focus on the ministries of outreach, the word of God spread. The number of disciples in Jerusalem increased again rapidly. And a large number of even priests became obedient to the faith. And students of the Bible and church history have always understood this passage of scripture to among other things signal the beginning of the ministry of deacons and what is a deacon the word deacon from the greek diaconos refers to a person who serves who waits on others, who serves others. The verb form of this word occurs in verse 2 where we read of the 12 apostles acknowledging the need for someone to, quote, serve tables, to wait on tables, to do that sort of service, to make sure that the poor and the hungry and the alone and the needy in the congregation are amply fed and otherwise taken care of. And the 12 apostles were not above this kind of work, of course, but they were called to something else that had to be done. And so as the church grew... And as tending, the tending of the needs of the people within the church required more and more energy and time and people and workers, a new office or role came into being. And that was the office of deacon. And as it turned out, this new role or person called deacon was and remains not coincidentally a reflection of their teacher and Lord who himself, as you remember, served tables most notably on the night that he was betrayed, when he got down on his knees and washed the feet of his disciples as they sat around a table, as they were at a table. And as the Apostle Paul would later write to the Christians in Philippi, Jesus, who was in very nature God and who did not consider equality with, something, with God something to be grasped or to take to his own advantage, made himself nothing, taking the very nature or form of A servant. Which here is the Greek word doulos, which is translated or can be translated either servant or bondservant or slave. And Paul wrote to the Philippians and to us that our attitudes and our dispositions in everything should be like that of Jesus, like that of a servant, because that's how Jesus, our teacher, our master, our mentor, was You remember that Jesus said to his very close disciples, apprentices, James and John, when they came to him with a request that reflected more of a Herod type of worldview or kingdom, Jesus declared, even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And if the Son of Man, Jesus, understood himself that way and lived that way and possessed that sort of commitment... And how much more also must such a way be that of his followers? Anyone who calls on the name of the Lord. But let's also understand this. Even though these first deacons were serving tables, they were in no way inferior to the apostles or to anyone. Quite the opposite seems to have been true. The apostles the apostle said, brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the Spirit and full of wisdom, who are known to be full of the Spirit, full of the wisdom, because their work, that to which they too were called by God in the church, would require such qualities. And it is no surprise that we see the deacons, Stephen and Philip, being powerfully used by God in the next two chapters, chapter 7 and chapter 8 in the book of Acts where they are making known God's good news and not just serving tables, but through their service and through their witness and through their testimony and through their lives too, the gospel is blowing up and the kingdom is expanding. And this servant thing, frankly, is something to which all of those who these days want to know and follow Jesus and come into his kingdom, don't fully understand as a generation, the first generation of the church probably did. Because we live in a highly consumeristic age, which is influenced or shaped or bled into also the church, which has become in many ways, a highly consumeristic enterprise. And we have forgotten the way of Jesus and asked instead, subconsciously, what's in it for me? New Testament scholar James Edwards has written, at no place do the ethics of the kingdom of God clash more vigorously with the ethics of the world than in the matters of power and service. In a decisive reversal of values, Jesus speaks of greatness and service rather than greatness of power, prestige, and authority. <clears throat> Whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. Whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. The preeminent virtue of God's kingdom is not power, not even freedom, but service. The preeminent virtue, all of which has the power to transform both the individual and the community. Noted leadership guru Robert Greenleaf retells the story of a band of men on a mythical journey. The central figure of the story is Leo, who accompanies the party as the servant who does their menial chores, but who also sustains them with his spirit and with his song. He is a person of extraordinary presence. And all goes well with the journey until Leo disappears. Then the group falls into disarray and the journey is abandoned. They cannot make it without the servant Leo, the narrator, one of the party. After some years of later wandering, finds, comes across Leo. And is taken into the religious order that has sponsored the journey. And there he discovers that Leo whom he had first known as servant, was in fact the titular head of the order, its guiding spirit, a great and noble leader. But the reason that Leo was able to lead was because he was first and foremost a servant. On the great mythical journey, Leo was actually the leader all of the time, but he was servant first because that was what he was deep down inside. In the religious order of men that Leo led, leadership was bestowed on him because he was a servant. His identity as a servant and his corresponding self-understanding was something that had been given to Leo or that had been assumed and, to, and which could not be taken away. His servant nature was who he was. He was servant first, which allowed him to lead. Which allowed him or made him a great leader. And to such God calls people and Jesus. To such Jesus calls his followers. And that is what the church needs. And that is who the church needs. And that is who our world needs needs. In our culture, many people go to church essentially to be served. They are handed donuts and bagels and cookies on the way in or afterward and served coffee and juice and tea, which is good hospitality, of course. But what if instead of being handed refreshments, and a bulletin on the way in, those who were earnestly seeking the way of Jesus were instead handed latex gloves and basins and towels and buckets and mops and brooms. What a strange church that would be, would it not? Have you ever been to a church like that? Do you want to go to a church like that? I know I'm treading on thin ice right now. I know you, we, I, love our cookies and our donuts and our juice and our coffee. Don't mess with my cookies. What if the vestments of pastors and priests were not stoles and robes, but instead the aprons of servants What if the church was shaped in that way and formed in the image and likeness of Jesus? What kind of church would that be? Are you following me? And this is not just about deacons and pastors. It's about all of us. Deacons and pastors and ushers and elders administrators, youth leaders, musicians, helpers, caregivers, prayer givers, and everyone, anyone who might call on the name of the Lord. Serving, understanding oneself as a servant in the way of our master is not the spiritual gift of a few, but the calling of all in Christ. Though some are called to particular roles to which we in the tradition of the scriptures and the church lay on our hands and ordain people, we are all called to the way of Jesus in which no task is too small, no role is too low, no act is too menial. I am encouraged, I am particularly encouraged by the people in this congregation in their 80s who every week serve On committees and fix meals for children, who give rides to their peers, who literally sweep up trash along the curb and leaves in the parking lot, who have sung in the choir and directed traffic and folded bulletins, I thank God for you. For the way that you have paved and gone before us and shown us the way and continue to do so, may we follow your lead and may God make us into a congregation of servants. Well along in his ministry, Jesus called his disciples to himself and he said, you know that those who are regarded as rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, a.k.a. Herod, etc. And their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. And in the Greek grammar, this is as emphatic as it can be. Not so with you. Whoever wants to be great among you instead must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be slave of all. Good word, Stephen. In the words of missiologist Alan Hirsch, if the church does not look, sound, and act like its founder, Jesus, then it is not the church, but rather something else. Jesus is always the only true measure of a church's authenticity and identity. And Jesus was a servant. And this isn't supposed to be a heavy thing. Just as all of that stuff that we talked about last fall is not supposed to be a burden, but a joy and lead to the way of life. And those of you who have put on aprons and who have swept and mopped and painted and served in any number of other ways, who have gone on mission trips, who have shown up for work days, who have gotten down on your knees and prayed, you know the joy and the life there is in that way. I don't have to tell you. I will share these words, though, from Albert Schweitzer, a pastor, missionary, doctor from long ago. I don't know what your destiny will be, but one thing I know, the only ones among you who will be really happy Are those who have sought and found how to serve. I think that sums it up. Jesus says, You want to know the way to life with a capital L that he defined as abundance and eternal? Take on with him the nature of a servant. Let's pray. God, we confess that in a variety of ways we have wanted and chosen and liked and preferred to be served rather than to serve. And there's a part of us that's still that way. Continue to rehabilitate us, open our eyes, reshape our hearts. In the little things and the big things at work and in our neighborhoods and among strangers and on the street and in the church, open our eyes to the ways that you call your people in your son to serve, to wait tables, to look out for the needs of others, to put others first, to take the low road, and may we find the joy of your son in that. We pray and ask in Christ the Lord. Amen.